0: Volume Two, Chapter Thirteen of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell. Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen, Angels Within It. It is a pleasant walk through the green park into Piccadilly, and thence by Berkeley Square towards Hyde Park. And somehow, about half past four, Bellarmin found himself in the neighbourhood of South Street, Mayfair. And it was not unnatural, however inconsistent with some of his recent resolves, that he should remember the benediction service at the Farm Street Church, the Catholic church to which Mary Beaton often went. It occurred to his mind that the service would be going on now, and that the sermon would be over by this time, and that the music would have a soothing and satisfying effect upon his nerves and spirit so he turned into the church and he had not been seated many minutes before he recognized lady struthers snow-white coiffure and nodding plumes and beside the old lady's portly presence a slender perfect form and a stately little head framed in a coif-like bonnet and rising above a full dainty ruff and a gracious clear-cut face with tender lips and deep eyes turned now in calm adoration towards the high altar and now bent again in extremist reverence. The organ and the choir voices were sending forth a sweet solemn chant, and presently the pure notes of the soprano soloist thrilled upward like the song of the lark in its ecstatic effort to ascend to the heavenly blue. The candles of the altar were being lighted one by one, and they shone in the soft religious light like stars of a near and mellowed luster. There came forth a procession following the crucifix, before which a gray-haired old man in gorgeous vestments walked backward and after him a file of priests in albs and golden copes with tapers and banners of blue and gold the image of the mother and child rising from a bank of beautiful white flowers was borne aloft while the censers swayed rhythmically and the incense went up in clouds and made an atmosphere of heavy perfume the feeling of unreality which had first oppressed bellarmin on entering this scene after the light social talk and the more momentous political conversation at tressel's house seemed to fade away and give place to the perception of a consoling spiritual actuality underlying a certain theatrical effect which in the catholic ritual always jarred upon his rationalistic mind he did not bow his head as the other worshippers did when the procession passed but he watched it with a vague feeling of wonder and increasing interest, and then an unconsciously deepening sentiment of awe. In his ordinary mood he would have seen a garishness in the gilded images, the starry banners, the gorgeous copes, a sort of prosaic homeliness in the soiled vestments and the crumpled lace of the minor attendants. There was a want of religious enthusiasm in the faces of most of the acolytes. There was something in the whole which, in— any other mood than his present might have provoked him to a feeling of antagonism but now notwithstanding this impression the ceremonial appeared to him in a dim fashion symbolic of that spiritual essence hidden beneath the outward pageantry and frolic of life that divine voice which speaks to the listening soul through sobs and laughter through the roar of crowds through all worldly turmoil and clangor there are moments of brief sudden illumination when the eternal truths shine out from the mere emblems and it is there it is with us the christ crucified the martyred ideal for to many the command take up the cross may not be read crucify the material live the higher life in pure aspiration and scorn of the mean and ignoble but rather crucify for the hour those finer and more exquisite instincts and sensibilities of your nature surrender them to the grim inexorable edict of circumstance of condition of what life and its limitations have made duty for you in condition of mind and soul of which such mood as this of bellarmin is but a pale reflection men of old time walked with god in these later days of worldly fret men and women who in rare moments of exaltation recognize the divine force working within and impelling to faith in the unseen the noble the unselfish do still hold commune with god it would not appear strange to them then were the heavens to open and the unseen world be revealed and in very truth the angels of that world do sometimes pass in human guise and holding forth a beckoning hand lovingly bid us draw nearer to the holy presence so it seemed to the young man perturbed in soul and heart for the moment irked by the world yearning for a higher ideal and for the purer light which for him shone in the eyes of a girl he waited kneeling till mary came down the aisle she had lingered in prayer some moments after lady struthers filed away with the rest of the congregation oh that one little prayer for him might pass her lips she made her reverence to the altar and walked with eyes gazing straight before her she came so close to his bowed form that her dress brushed his shoulder and her little hand clasping her missal almost touched his head she did not see him her look was rapt and earnest as if she were not thinking of the common things of life with which he told himself bitterly he must be associated in her mind. Yet in all its sweetness and earnestness her face was sad, he thought. This angel held out no beckoning hand to him, but he rose at once and followed her closely, and when she took the holy water he dipped his fingers into the font as soon as she had turned from it. He had a glancing fancy that thus some grace or virtue might be imparted to him, it was not till they both stood outside the church that she turned suddenly and saw him near her he felt a thrill of wonder and delight at seeing the look of glad surprise which came into her face it was something more than mere surprise something deeper and more personal it seemed a tender and welcoming interest she held out her hand and he took it in his almost silently perhaps his face told her something she had not quite known before her bright smile faded and she grew grave in a moment though not less gentle and tender and she still looked at him in her clear questioning way i did not think you would have cared to come to our service in london she said i have been lunching at Trestles, he answered and i passed by here and so i went in and i saw you mr Bellerman, she said wistfully you look a little worried and troubled tell me is anything wrong with you "'Oh, yes,' he said recklessly, "'there's a great deal wrong with me. Any sort of life like mine must seem all wrong, I suppose, when one gets under that kind of influence you and I have just come from. It is an influence, even for one who doesn't believe in it. But I am not really troubled. I am always happy when I am—' He checked himself abruptly. He had been near saying, "'When I am with you.' She took up his words simply—' i too am always happy when i am under that influence life would be very sad and difficult i think without the church to go to for strength and comfort you couldn't have come to a better place mr belliman if you were disturbed or unhappy and i think you must have felt it so in your heart or you would not have come she bade him good-bye and was moving to her carriage beside the door of which lord stonehenge and lady struthers stood Bellerman lifted his hat, but did not go near to speak to them. It smote him, with a vague pain that Mary had not asked him, as she often did when they accidentally met, to come and see her at some particular time near at hand. On an impulse, he said, May I call upon you to-morrow? Mary shook her head. I am going to be away part of the time to-morrow, and when I come home from— from the business i have to do i shall be tired and stupid and i think i shall want to be alone but come some other day come soon he took leave of her and lord stonehenge helped her into the carriage and rolfe went on to the park the thought of her and of the chanting and the service was with him all the evening though he dined at a house where he met lady saxon the talk during dinner touched upon the wonder of life in london its drama its never-ceasing change in movement, its picturesqueness, and its sordid misery, its vivid contrast, its solemnity and its frivolity, the strange beauty to be found even in its winter skies and fog-veiled streets, and leaden livid river, and the subtle fascination there was in its grimness and gloom and mystery for those who had once fallen under the spell of its enchantment. It was contended that though London possesses a magic as peculiarly her own, and in a certain sense no less potent than that of Rome and other far-famed historic capitals, no poet or romancist or painter has ever completely represented her infinite charm, that poetry, romance, and painting have left some of her most peculiar charms untouched. Some one spoke of the extraordinary variety of feelings which might be evoked merely in the course of one day's experience among the shifting scenes of the great city bellarmin smiled a little sadly to himself as he joined in with the speaker later on he went to a crowded party at the magnificent studio of a noted acmedician a sunday evening semi-bohemian party where a celebrated french comedian and comedienne played a scene from a palais royal farce which had but just escaped the lord chamberlain's prohibition where champagne corks flew and empty laughter resounded and beautiful women in art costumes postured against tapestry backgrounds and lovers whispered and art critics took the opportunity to furtively examine the pictures and appraise the bric-a-brac and where in dim corners and amid aesthetic groups there hovered that ideal which is exhibited on the walls of the academy and sold at christie's and bargained for by american railway kings but which had no place in dim churches and but little affinity with the saints bellarmin flirted and jested and applauded the mummers with the consciousness all the time of moving and talking in a dream he looked in towards morning at a late club and in the grey dawn went to rest and to dream more vividly still of mary stuart beaton he had a kind of instinct that the business to which she had alluded was one of her southwark sister of mercy expeditions he had heard her speak more than once of the particular quarters she visited and although he would not for the world that she should imagine he wished to obtrude himself upon her yet somehow before the meeting of the house next day he drifted along the purlieus of westminster and thence across the bridge and down into the southwark region it was a new locality to him, and had a curious, unaccustomed bourgeois air, very unlike that of the West End he had quitted, or the city in all its rush and roar and suggestion of momentous issues and terrific responsibilities. Bellarmin got into the Borough Road, where great omnibuses rolled heavily along the tram-lines, and where carts and wagons lumbered, but where there were no private carriages to be seen, and very few cabs then he found himself in a tangle of lanes and alleys and dismal narrow streets pervaded by the smell of decaying fish and vegetable refuse and mouldering rags streets which were mostly given up to the pliers of petty trades the cobblers who buy old boots and turn them out in a wearable condition as new the buttonholers and fish-smokers and fur-pickers and rag-sorters for whom there is no place in better-class quarters it seemed on the whole a fairly decent community in spite of its filth and squalor the women who hung about the doorways most of them with babies in their arms were not vicious or debased looking but only grimy and unkept and stolid and miserable and hopeless the men looked hopeless too but few of them were drunken alas poor souls there was not money enough for the gin-palaces to flourish the children were pale and rickety and blotched as indeed was little marvel seeing that their lives were passed in foul courts where not a breath of pure air might ever penetrate here and there in a more open space ropes were stretched and the ragged garments of the population hung out to dry adding a damp and mouldy odor to the noxious smells that loaded the atmosphere Bellerman wandered on stopping now and then to give a few pence to some tattered wistful-eyed girl or to a group of starved street arabs who soon collected at his heels in goodly procession eager to direct him anywhere that he would go they were at last forcibly dispersed by a dealer who stood before his window in which were displayed a variety of cheap and common goods men's shirts of coarse cotton at a shilling apiece and boots roughly vamped at three and sixpence a pair and who descried in bellarmin a possible philanthropist this man was a churchwarden so he told bellarmin who stopped to talk with him and he was so he said with some pride the best to do tradesman in the parish but he had his distresses and just now he hardly knew how to carry on for his brother-in-law who helped him in the shop had run away with eight shillings out of the till from him Vellerman gained much practical information as to the ways and wants of the parish it was a very poor parish perhaps the poorest in all london the vicar himself had hard work to live and feed his family let alone keeping the church lighted and the things together and feeding the poor people things weren't quite so bad as they had been though once not one of the west end charitable ladies who went down singing at the east end had ever heard of or thought of visiting this god forsaken spot, but now, and here a strange thing happened, and Bellarmin's attention was strained to an extraordinary pitch of alertness. Now there was a lady, a real West Ender, and as handsome as a princess, and he didn't know but what she was a princess, for the old gentleman who came with her mostly treated her as such. And old Jacoby of the second hand bookstall in London Road declared she was the walking image of a print he had of Mary, Queen of Scots. She had come often of late, and she gave teas to the old people, presents of clothing and prizes to the school children, and it was all through her that the soup kitchen and the creche had been started. The man went on to tell him that she was there that very day, that she was at the schoolhouse now with the vicar and some other gentlemen, one of whom and the dealer looked mysterious was uncommonly like the pictures in the comic illustrated of sir victor champion the dealer didn't know as he had any politics himself he had voted for the conservatives last election because they told him as he ought to stand by the country but if the liberals was going to do better by that parish why he was willing to let sir victor have his vote and it wasn't much odds anyway and if Bellarmin would like to see for himself that the people were not such a bad lot, taking them all round, he had only to look into Green's gardens where he would see an average selection. Just then, a customer came, and Bellarmin, who really wanted to know what manner of people these were to whom his lily queen devoted herself, asked one of the urchins to show him the way to Green's Gardens. A row of dingy, miserable, dilapidated, two-storied houses looking out upon a foul, ill-smelling court, and offering melancholy satire upon the bare suggestion of flower-beds. There was a little flutter of excitement about the place, however, amid all its wretchedness. Bellarmine was not long in discovering the cause. Had not his princess passed that way, in good truth it might well have seemed to the dwellers in that dreary street that angels were abroad upon this soft June afternoon it was not difficult to identify the beautiful lady who had come to the rescue last week when the gaunt hard-worked mother of seven in number five broke her mangle her only means of earning a scant subsistence and whom starvation threatened till by some miracle the mangle could be repaired the angel had performed the miracle and the mangle was at work again and then there was the decrepit cobbler who had started in life afresh now that the lady had provided him with tools and leather and there was the deaf widow who used to support herself handsomely by making band boxes till as she grew deafer the shop people lost patience and refused her orders until the lady came and went herself to a great warehouse and somehow managed to get the poor old dame a certain weekly order for the few dozen that she was able to turn out and then there was the family which were to be emigrated to australia whose passage she had paid and whose clothes she had taken out of pawn the head of that family never quite knew how it was that he became the possessor of a little nest-egg which the vicar handed him before he sailed as the gift of an anonymous friend it must be owned that bellarmin's impulsive liberality that day was somewhat in ratio with the blessings poured upon the beautiful lady whose name and position no one seemed to have exactly ascertained but anyhow some hopeless hearts were gladder and some starved bodies more content that night because of what he had done when he had visited most of the dwellers in the gardens he made his way as quickly as he could towards the borough road again he had a nervous dread lest mary should see him or get to know of his presence there by chance however he struck upon a little square with a church and a red-brick schoolhouse, and more lines and more clothes fluttering in the wind and as he passed at the end of the square the faint sound of a sweet fresh voice that he knew fell upon his ear with just that little imperious intonation in it which told that his princess was at that moment very earnest and intent on the carrying out of some projects for the people's good bellarmin could not but pause and look from behind his screen of bulging sheets she was there standing very straight and looking very slender and stately in her plain black dress and little close bonnet and with a part of her profile only visible to him there was quite a group of them just outside the church door general falcon stood by and sir victor champion yes there could be no doubt about that his face was turned towards mary and had a look of deep attention as if he were revolving her project whatever it might be in his mind in taking all its practical bearings before he flashed into enthusiastic advocacy bellarmin had often seen the same kind of look on his face in the house of commons only that then it had not the tinge of strong personal interest which warmed it now bellarmin felt a darting pang of jealousy he were on the eve of becoming prime minister and had a great fortune and might not only restore to the last of the stuarts her forfeited inheritance but take from her counsel and inspiration and perhaps bring into practical working some of her visionary plans for the good of england ah well he was glad for mary's sake that she had enlisted interest so powerful there was no doubt that if champion as prime minister were to urge mary's claims in the house they would be carried liberals and tories alike would be fired to an impulse of generosity towards one so beautiful winning and so good the act of forfeiture would be reversed in a manner becoming in a magnanimous government and a wise and lofty-minded sovereign absolutely secure of the affections of her people and able to smile at the bogey of a stuart pretender to the throne then all this shadow and sham and net of intrigue and assumption would fall away from mary her claims having been recognized and acceded to she would stand forth in an assured position free to live her own life and do her good works as she pleased ah yes he was glad very glad but he wished that he could be the great minister and that it might be in his power to do all this for her a clergyman in a long rusty coat and felt wide awake evidently the vicar of the parish was in the group a man with a tired commonplace face and stooping gait and eyes alight now in wonder and hope as he glanced eagerly from miss beaton to champion probably he like the dealer would be quite willing to turn from tory to liberal if the latter party were likely to do better than the former by that particular parish then there was a little woman in brown alpaca and a shabby bonnet twinkling with jet a schoolteacher or district visitor probably all agape with astonishment and delighted expectation who would put in her modest word when sir victor asked the vicar a question and he turned to her they were all in full conclave bellarmin wished that he could hear what it was about and wished too that he might join in it it was only a very little reform easy enough to a rich philanthropist and scarcely involving a question of legislation though mary in her anxiety felt sure that an act of parliament might be passed immediately to set everything right it was only about the starting of free breakfasts for the hungry scholars whom a beneficent state provided with a mass of valuable knowledge but whose empty stomachs were not equal to the task of assisting their minds in its digestion had Bellarmin gone boldly forward, he would have been welcomed, and he might have secured for himself several opportunities which fell to Champion of enjoying merry Beaton's society, and benefiting his fellow creatures at the same time. But he felt sore and sad, and he turned quietly away behind the sheets and wandered out of the labyrinth of alleys by a different path. End of volume two, chapter thirteen.